Knockout Ginger, episode 47, with Patrick Smith. Tenor saxophone, band leader, composer, Sens fan. My favorite beard oil is Barden Beard Oil, handmade in Toronto, B-A-A-R-D-E-N. They make quality beard care products for quality beards. And I even put it on my head sometimes. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of all this stuff. I use the beard wash and the oil all the time. Um, use code KNOCKOUT at checkout for 20% off your order. Thanks for listening. Email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com. F all the haters. How about these scents? Oh, there was a lot of hope, man. I actually, part of the reason I was late was um, I couldn't decide if I wanted my horns in the background in the shot of the shot or this auto ascenders blankets. And I decided that my hockey affiliations were more important. All right. I think you made it wrong choice, <laughs> wrong choice. <laughs> In so many ways. In so many ways. <laughs> uh, so what's been up? I'm actually having somehow a pretty decent month. Uh, November and December, COVID, I was getting a little dark. But right now, I've been teaching a bunch. I've been practicing and I've been reading a bunch of books and like trying to give myself structured goals mainly for the reading of the books, but also for practicing. Um, I've been working on flute since last March. I sort of want to get to the point where I play the flute and it's not like, oh, haha, another saxophone player playing the flute. It'll actually sound good, which I don't know if I'll get there, but I'm practicing it every day and taking some, I took a few lessons uh, with Ann Fung, which was nice. Uh, she corrected some things I would not have thought about. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to do that. I've been checking out this guy, Lou Tobacken. Big fan. Old old dude who can still really rip. Uh, I yeah. was not aware the flute could be played that intensely. And uh, that big band he had with uh, Toshiko um, in the 70s, some... Lar- I never listened to large ensembles, and here I was listening to a big band. Uh, How did you find Lou Tobacken? Okay, so funny enough, oh man, uh, leader at yeah, totally, oh. yeah, yeah, that dude, <laughs> and then. Colleen mentioned Colleen Allen, like her and I have occasionally played some flute duets and we play in Chelsea McBride's big band together. And I used to be a camp counselor at the music camp. She taught at for a few summers. Um, And she had mentioned him like a long time ago. And then I saw he was playing at smalls with, uh, for once I remember the name of the bass player and not the uh, drummer. Um, He was playing with, or Boris Kozlov? No, no. The Kiyo no Kiyoshi Kitagawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah that right. dude. And just trio playing te- he's 80. He was playing tenor and flute and alto flute and I watched the two set live stream and man, he just blew me away. Yeah. And then I started checking all this stuff out and just it's really remarkable and makes me actually want to work on the flute a bit more. Uh, so that's how I, where it was one of those weird, do you ever have those weird moments of recall where like somebody said, told you something years ago that wasn't, didn't even seem that important. And then you're like, Oh, like association comes back. And now it has led to this moment where, Oh, I've listened to a bunch of this guy's records this month. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Um, Yeah. 
I used to see him all the time at Smalls. Did he hang? Was was he uh, playing? He didn't really. He uh, he wasn't really a big hanger, but he would he would play there a lot. Yeah. And a lot of my friends would play with him, and he's a big. I think he has like at least a session a day at his place. So I mean I don't know if he's keeping it up through COVID, but like he's really big into having like young students over to play. So a bunch of my friends would go over to play with him all the time. Seems like a good dude. Yeah, that's so sick. And I just he's eighty and he's just destroying it. And like I can't mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about the trouble I'm having playing the flute and even just I don't know, the it's funny to say this, but it's a very tiring instrument for the arms because this left arm is brought up all the time. Yeah. Where like my endurance, both from a face perspective, but also from like literally holding the thing up is not very good. Like I've been, you know, 15 minutes flute, break, stretch, um, play the tenor for a bit, back to flute because I can't play it for that long and with intensity yet. And he's just going at it, and it's really incredible. I want to be able to do that when I'm in my 70s, you know, treat my body well enough where I can... Some of these old guys who play wind instruments who still really have it are just... It's kind of nuts. Super inspiring. Um, I don't know. The old dudes... Just hearing a guy who's been playing the instrument you play for 50 years, It's there's a power to it, regardless of, like... I don't know if you felt this. Uh, actually, I wanted to talk about this because this I've been, been thinking about this a lot where I was thinking about examples where I've heard that. And obviously, you know, the guys here that I've been lucky enough to play with, like Terry Clark. Um, I got to play once with Dave Young. That was really cool. Um, but remember, do you re- I don't even remember this tenor player's name. One of the times I was in New York and we were hanging out, you took me... First two fifth, uh, the fat cat, and he were, and it was some old tenor player, and it was sort of like Ornette's music, but weirder. Um, and he was one of your teachers at the new school, uh, and you had said, I quote, "Yeah, he was in the band. He was in the Jazz Messengers before Winton joined when they were wearing white suits in the early seventies. Do you remember this tenor player at all? Probably." Um probably dave schnitter yeah yeah that's who we saw and like there was just this power to it but i didn't think he was playing the sax from that out that well but i just was so engaged with what he was doing it's incredible yeah how (laughs) the guys that like uh don't let their I don't know how you say this respectfully. <laughs> uh, they're uh, even though uh, it seems like their technical ability on the instrument is declining, the amount of music that they're able to make is still increasing. So yeah. the guys that are able to like, it's like a. It's a crazy, it's like superpowers. Yeah, it's so powerful. Uh, it's it's wild. Uh, I got two guys who come to mind here like that that I was thinking about. It was just, you know, being fortunate enough to have heard Pat LaBarbera play so many times before he, you know, retired. And he's still playing, obviously. But also Bob Bruff, where I really find listening to Bob play. I got to play one gig with him with Laura Hubert. Uh, a year ago, it was right before the pandemic, and I got called to sub in to Laura's bed. And oh my god, I felt like I just got so much better on this gig from playing next to Bob. Like just this power and joy that comes out of him. Yeah, it's wild. It's really it's listening to Lou. It's you know I've been doing like the sober January thing, and it's been great. I've been eating. I don't know about you, but for the pandemic, like I've been eating so much better. Yeah, me too. Like, I've been upping my cooking game, and that's one of the sort of bright sides of it. And listening to all these old guys, it's like, there's something there, that, and there's this thing I want in my life of just this total dedication of mind, but also of body towards 
the instrument I play in towards music of just, you know, because mm-hmm. I want to be able to play like Lou Tobacco when I'm 80 years old. And I didn't think about that a lot before the last two months. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think about it a lot. I think because I spent so much time around Reggie. Yeah. And watching him just be such a force on the bass, even though he's. He was. Well, I mean, when he was 80 at the time, he was probably 83 or 4 now. But, like, the ability to have. I mean, and I hate to say declining technique because there's more to it than that you know like it's uh yeah technique is only like it's not meant to win like you you don't win awards for technique you know yeah yeah technique is is there to serve you to make music properly or to make music your way so i guess depending on how you examine it their technique isn't declining because they're still able to make incredible music i don't know what do you how would you what do you call it like their these older musicians have the ability to adapt their technique as they age is that how I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, in addition to Lou, uh, it's funny. The two other sort of January projects I did were, uh, I got really back into studying Beethoven and I'm finally, am reading, this is such a ridiculous book, man. This is by Schindler, who was his like personal secretary for the last 10 years of his life. And it's so dense and it's written in 1855 and it's like it's firsthand accounts of, talking about him particularly when he's old and writing the ninth symphony and these late string quartets and just how brutal he was and particularly i was just reading today but all these issues with the vocal parts that he refused to compromise on where the chorus was saying and writing down to him because he couldn't hear oh beethoven we can't sing these parts this is too hard like these jumps don't work and he had such a history of really clearly proving he knew what he was doing. And he just sat there and said, no, that's the part. Where it's like, would you describe that as a decline in his technique as a composer? Or is he getting at something deeper? And I think I'm relating that to Sonny Rollins and all these post-1980 recordings of Sonny Rollins, where um, particularly the stuff... You know, after 1995, a lot of people talk serious shit about his declining abilities on the saxophone. And when I was really in my hardcore studying, like I only listened to Sonny Rollins for a year and a half when I was 19. Pretty much. I didn't really listen to any other saxophone players except live. And I never checked out anything past 1967. And here I am and I'm going chronologically and there's some incredible stuff, particularly in the 80s and early 90s when he's in his 50s and 60s. But there's something in these really late recordings. There's this recording of him with Ornette and Roy Haynes and McBride. And I don't know what it is, but there's a magic to it where I am sort of feel like I'm getting it now. Even though I'm not really getting it, if that makes sense. Where I can't even say, oh... Yeah, this sucks because his technique's bad. Because he's just adapted what he's doing as he aged. And I think that is what these guys are doing is they're adapting what they're doing. I mean, I think they say, I think music really does keep you young if you keep playing it that laid into life and if you can keep playing your instruments for sure and the whole like maybe these guys have just moved beyond this a notion like something that anybody who's a human who's under the age of 60 can't understand where they're getting 
maybe to them that is great technique um i don't know it'll be interesting to see i was like imagine what potter will sound like when he's 80 you know like or josh redman some of these you know upheld people who are upheld within the community as just technical masters and artistic geniuses yeah you know Lovano's a name that's coming to my mind where I think Lovato's growing on me as I get a bit older. Yeah, uh, I I love some of it. Yeah. But I, I've never been a huge Lovano fan, but I some of it's really great. Um, yeah. But I, how I I'm sort of the same way. But I wonder how much of that is just because I don't maybe I don't get it yet. I don't know. I meant to ask you if you were at that concert they did in a park in Brooklyn like six, seven years ago for Ornette, one of Ornette's birthdays. No, I wasn't there. I was stuck outside of the country. Oh. it was That was one of my visa d- issue, issue oh, man. periods. Um, it's the one, I think as far as I know, that was Ornette's last show. Yeah, I think so. That was the last, I think, public appearance of Sonny Rollins. Huh. What's that recording of Sonny and Ornette. So he sat in at Sonny's 75th birthday party at Carnegie Hall. And they play Sunny Moon for two. And then halfway through, Sonny introduces him and he comes out and plays after Sonny has played for like 10 minutes with Roy and Christian. And it's a weird, this weird recording because like Ornette comes out halfway through, but listening to it again, I think there's something there that before I was like, oh, this sucks. Why am I listening to this? Yeah, live at Carnegie Hall. I think it's 2005. 2010, I think it looks like. Right. So that would have been his 80th. Sweet, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's cool. Roy, Roy, the Roy and Christian thing together is cool too. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a, it's a, it's a great leg up. <laughs> oh, this bit crazy Beethoven yeah, biography a, first edition yeah. from eighteen sixty. Yeah, I got a couple questions about what you just said. So that book is so is it an, like it is it an easy read or is it like no? It's old so English? hard. It's like old English and. I mean, it looks like I'm halfway through the book, but I'm two years before he died. And then there's a bunch of supplements and then there's all the footnotes. And when you read it, you really have to go and look at each footnote. And he's talking about like very specific, like arguments about money with old Austrian currency. And this is actually the second edition. I realized I had made a mistake. The first edition, he left out a bunch of juicy details and then he was Schindler. It was you know thirty years after Beethoven died, and he was, and he was an old man, and he decided to redo the book and write a second edition, including all the stuff that I think the first edition was published ten years after Beethoven died, and there were still some details that he couldn't publish at that point. Um, right. And it sort of it talks about Austria and like it's. It's wild. It's it really feels like old English, but there's something here that where it's worth sitting down and getting myself to read through it. I've read other books on Beethoven before, but this is the one they all reference. This first, what did they they teach us this in school? What's this? It's like a first person source or something, like a direct line to the thing yeah, you're for, learning about. Yeah, yeah. first per first person. I sh- we should know this. We have degrees. <laughs> I think it's first person source. Pr- yeah, sorry, no, it's primary. It's primary source and then secondary source. All right. Yeah. Got it. Um All right, sorry. So backtracking. Why did you bring that book up? Because reading about Be- the way Beethoven acted when he was old and when he was writing what are now known as some of the greatest works of music and classical the classical canon makes me think of how these old guys play where to me when i was 19 i didn't get it but 
now I'm sort of trying, I think I'm starting to get the power and magic of it. Right. I remember what I was yeah. going to ask you now. So, uh, because I, I just know so little about classical music. So when Beethoven was older and this author is talking about the end of his life and, and these parts that he, he's writing for the vocalists that you mentioned, um, these pieces that he wrote at the end of his life, are they the main Beethoven pieces that we know today? Yeah. So like the three big works from the end of his life are the ninth symphony. Yeah. The late string quartets. I don't like know. Those those. Six. There's, they're like some of the most beautiful. Mu- they're, they're like the most beautiful things you've ever heard in your life, particularly uh, opus 131, which is in C sharp minor. And this piece called the gross fugue. It's like music from the, future it's wild those were the last things he wrote were these late string quartets um i see so so it's interesting to yeah you sorry Uh, and then he also wrote this massive piece of religious music uh well it was originally intended for church but it didn't he didn't follow any of the rules for writing church music it's called the misa solemnis it's for orchestra four solo voices and a chorus so specifically schindler is getting into it's it's a cool look into the rehearsal process of like the premieres of some of these works that just half the orchestra were amateurs. They had a couple of rehearsals and it was music that was way beyond anything that had ever been written from a perspective of needing to sing it technically or to play it technically. And yet he was adamant about it. Like he they're talking about the, his, you know, his hatred of the cyst political system he was in, basically, and you know his deafness at that point, and just out of all this crazy suffering, where it's like these firsthand accounts, it seems like he's losing his mind the last eight years of his life, and yet out of this period comes basically the music that created a. Not I shouldn't say this because I'm not enough of an expert on classical music, but the creation of repertory orchestras in Europe in the late 19th century, a lot of that was because Beethoven leveled up the game and wrote music that needed a bunch of rehearsals. Huh. As I understand it. Um, so where his, is... his stubbornness to not follow rules and to develop his own thing very late in his life just led to this total change in classical music and I think music as a whole, the way it evolved. Right. So the next question I had was, um, or maybe not a question, a thought. It's interesting that Beethoven at the end of his life wrote these pieces who, that ended up being his most famous works that we know. And, more so like back in our world of the jet, like the jazz world it's very rare that the icons of our music write the music that fuck (laughs) (laughs) at it. It's, it's, it's rare in our world that the music that we like the best from someone was written at the end of their career. Does that make, is that a sentence it does. that makes sense? It does. It does. That does make a lot of sense. Um, I wonder if there are any examples either of us can think of that contradict that. Uh... Uh, Wayne, maybe? Oh, that's a, gr- that's a really good one. That's a really good um, one. But are the Wayne quartet records bigger than his first, than, or more but listened I, to it, than it's his sort of a- I think Wayne is actually comparable to Beethoven because Beethoven also had this period of like six years where he wasn't writing much because he was involved in a bunch of lawsuits. Uh, and so they, they say, okay, there's the early Beethoven period, the middle Beethoven period, five-year gap where basically nothing was written because he was busy dealing with these lawsuits. And then the late Beethoven period. He lived till he was 56, which at the time was very, very old. Right. Right, where the most of his 40s he didn't write much and then Mm. in his 50s 
like these works get created and like they just push everything forward. Um, we're like Wayne so, is sort of similar to that, right? Where like we, when we talk about Wayne, a lot of us are talking about the sixties and then the new Wayne quartet. Yeah. And, though there's a bunch of, there is some, I think there's some cool stuff from the eighties. I, I yeah. think, I think some of that stuff's really neat. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the weather report days. That's true. That that's true. That is true. I'm not crazy about weather report, but that, I mean it's good music. Yeah. Um. Is there more? Can we think of more people? Um. I mean, maybe a good Fred Hirsch's recent solo albums might be a good example as well where i realize he's not ancient yet but he's not a young guy and i think the last few solo albums just are unbelievable i i really (laughs) really love them i think um i don't know I mean, I guess like I think most most musicians. I, I yeah, most musicians. As far as the public is concerned, most musicians go through that the big part of their career when they're younger. So I yeah. I don't know. Are you still in the same place? I am. I am moving um, next uh, for March 1st. I'm moving. Nice. Where are you moving? The Queen and Ossington area, which is cool. Cool. I'm moving into an an above-ground spot. I've been here for four years. It's been great. Um, And this place came up, and I took it. I felt I needed a change. Seems like a kind of a dumb time to be moving, but there's whatever. Spot, there's spots available. Yeah, so yeah. that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm excited. Do you have, uh, are you gonna have roommates? No, I'm gonna be living alone. Hopefully, it'll work out. It's quite cheap. It's the same house that uh, Mark Hundavad has lived in for a while. He lives in the basement of this old house. This is like the attic. Yeah. Um. Where it's just, it's like, seems like one of these places the rent hasn't changed in 20 years. Thank the Lord. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah. It, I can't wait to live alone. Yeah. I'm really excited for the growth that'll happen. I think living, you know, I lived with a bunch of roommates, many, many roommates over the years here and in the old spot I lived in in Chinatown when I was in school. So many great musicians. Like right now, uh, I'm living with you and Farncomb. Um, for two months and just he's such a I, I wonder if he can hear me right now my room's right beside the kitchen as you <laughs> remember uh like just getting to be around you and in his vibe um is great and this trumpet player marcus like just the way they talk about music and like you know just in general their whole aura and persona it's like different than mine in a way that I'm enjoying right now. Nice. That I, that I didn't, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've been really, obviously like the people around you influence, you know, your growth and your musicality. Um, but yeah, getting over the years, getting to live with so many amazing. I mean, I lived with Kalen for a really long time, which was just, just and hung out with him every day for years and it was like he sometimes i think like he was kind of my master's degree it was just like oh what what are you working on oh that's that's really nuts wow okay uh i better go do something <laughs> yeah uh he is he in new york now or no he's not he's in owen sound for the uh, moment i think he's i'm not sure what he's gonna do he hasn't talked to me too much about his plans um hopefully he decides to come back to toronto and never leave 
I really hope, Kaylin, if you listen to this podcast, I will. I don't know. I, I don't, there's nothing I can say here that's going to affect his decision. It's like, oh, I will buy you. I will pay for your laundry at a laundromat every day for the rest of your twenties. Like, like that's like, <laughs> I don't. That's a weird example. I don't know, but like ultimately, <laughs> it's quite but, a deal. It's... Like. I know, like when athletes are like threatening to leave a city, all these restaurants and condos are like, please don't leave, please stay. It's like, huh, I wonder if there's some sort of movement yeah. <laughs> Canadians can get to prevent people from going to New York. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like New York's just not a place to live. It's a place to be for a bit, though. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you, re do you regret it? Like, you got to do the whole thing. I definitely regret I regret certain things for sure. Uh I don't know. It's tough. Like it's it's I think maybe looking back I would have finished my degree in Toronto and then gone to New York for my master's maybe in hindsight but who knows yeah who knows then you would have been there at a very at a very different age period in your life though yeah right like I don't know I'm thinking about this a bit more Mike because I'll be 26 in a few months um I really do feel like I'm entering a different sort of chapter. I felt that around my 25th birthday, just things I was thinking about. I started to chill out a bit more and be a bit more confident with what I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, where now I'm looking at like, okay, what do I want to get done personally and musically? Within And like maybe this is a bad way to think about it, but I do enjoy you know being organized and goal planning. And I, I really am sort of excited for the next the back half of my 20s and i mean when were you what ages were you in new york um like do you think it would have do you think it would have been a very different experience if you had gone when you were like if you went now and had never gone after and had like a completely different set of life experiences do you think that would have been better or worse because i mean you were there at a pretty formative time and yeah i moved there when i was 24 right yeah and I moved back, I must have been, I'm pretty sure I moved back like right on my, I essentially moved back right on my 29th birthday. Right, yeah. I was in the middle of a tour and the tour ended on my birthday and then I drove home to <laughs> Burlington opposed to driving home to Brooklyn. So I was there for five years. And was was that a planned drive or did was it sudden like because your stuff was there for a while i remember yeah uh the plan was to move home for a little bit while i worked on my artist visa right and that just kept getting harder and harder to piece together essentially and i decided i just wasn't going to deal with it wasn't going to worry about it because Toronto was exciting and or I mean is excite well Toronto was exciting pre-COVID and I'm sure it will get exciting again but I just felt like uh, it was in my best interest to stay in Toronto because it's just so much easier yeah. and easier it's still a grind like living in Toronto when you say it's easier it's a weird thing to say because yeah. living in Toronto is not easy <laughs> it's not no no just simply affording to live in New York is a crazy crazy thing like I was working a day job like nine to five day job 
and in a at a at an office at a label and most months i would still be like ah dad i can't i need i i need some help for rent please <laughs> you know like that's a that's a ridiculous yeah situation sure. to be in like living with four roommates and having a day job and still having to ask my dad to help me with rent yeah. is like why is why would anyone choose to live that way is is crazy so i just realized that certain stresses would be out of my life and i could focus a lot more on music and like building a group and whatever and i could still yeah. and developing and i could still go see music every night so What's the difference really where I am? Like my bottom line, bottom line is um, I feel like we all have the ability to build careers regardless of where we're living. Yeah. I And I, yeah, it's so true. And I think it's getting easier and easier to do that if you're smart about it. Yeah. And uh, doing this, like this, this life that we're trying to carve out for ourselves doesn't work unless you're traveling a lot anyway. Yeah. Like it's pretty hard to just stay in one city and make a living unless you're teaching a lot. It's probably the, I mean, like when I say it's difficult to stay in one spot, I mean specifically playing music. Yeah. Just the just the performance aspect of of music. It's hard to do with without leaving a city. So I just think that like you can still new, use New York for the tool that it is. Yeah. While you're not living there, you know? Like we it's it's so cheap to ride the bus to New York at this point. I don't know. That's just mostly how I feel about it, I think. Right. Yeah. That we can all sense, benefit though. from New York even if we're not living there. Yeah. Yeah, I really considered like three separate occasions in the last year of just permanently moving back to live with my parents for a year, year and a half. Um, and I didn't for a few different reasons. Um, but, you know, other people did, you know. People I know, two examples that come to mind. And they're, like, really going for it. They're developing so much. They're working on their craft. Um, two people who really inspire me who did that are uh, Stefan Haynes, who's an alto player. He moved back to Calgary for a year. Uh, great Iwian flute player, too. Man, he's he's great. He plays in a lot of, I guess, more in the hip-hop funk-ish world of Toronto. Um Amazing, like particularly with the Iwi, man, he is really next level. Like in terms of his sound design, on the alto too, and the flute, uh, like just a really amazing, amazing musician. Him and you know he makes beats a little bit. Then my buddy Dennis Lim moved back to Ottawa. He's an unbelievable piano player. Do you know him? No, I know the name, but I've I... yeah, he's just and drummer, and is producing and really making some serious music on twitch and just going for it he's like streaming on twitch every day making five beats every day and they all sound incredible like they all sound so good what he's doing and he's just been doing this for so and he's living at his parents house in the suburb i grew up and he's just killing it and i keep seeing what he's posting and it's like this is un like i gotta figure out how to make beats like this is so cool what Dennis is doing and he's he made the decision I didn't make I was like oh I've got enough teaching I think I can build a bit more teaching despite the pandemic I'm gonna stay here uh, I think this will be better for my growth than my folks don't live in Ottawa they live in the country now um, all right west of Ottawa and I made that choice and this month particularly I was like this might have been the wrong choice um, especially you know John Nicholson moved back to Vancouver. Um, he had wanted to do that for a little bit, and he's last I heard he's liking it a lot. 
Uh, he's happy to be back there. Um, like, I really think we don't need to be all so centralized, especially like seeing what my friends and colleagues who are so talented and so amazing are doing while they're not here during this time. Like, what am I like? I'm not, I'm not creating anything. I'm trying to be able to play the flute without cacking. Like that's my pandemic goal, which I could be doing anywhere. And yet here I am still in Toronto doing it. Uh, It's weird. It's a weird time. Like what, what's the right call? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. I don't know what yeah. the move is. I'm st- I'm still paying rent in Toronto, and I'm living. living in my parents' basement. So everything's going good. <laughs> um, I th- uh, Evan Shea is also doing the Twitch thing. Yeah, he's also very good. He's man. Yeah, when we hung out last time, I, I went up to Montreal with Kalen to do some gigs and to check out Ambrose when Ambrose was at McGill. Uh, that would have been in 2018. No, 2019, two years ago. Such a great trip. Oh, man. Uh, so, so such a great trip. And I hung out with Evan one day. And me and him had never really hung out. Like, we had sort of seen each other when I'd been up there. And I hung out at his spot and he was showing me a bunch of stuff. And I was like, whoa. This yeah, guy's a, mind is on another level. Like, He's the, a maniac. He's he's just a fucking maniac. It's, and it's in the awesome. be, in the best way. And then you listen yeah. to his music and it's like, oh yeah, that's reminds me of Q, like Brian Q in a few some ways. It's like, oh yeah, this is like of like this is Evan. Like it doesn't he doesn't even need to have saxophone on it. <laughs> yeah, he, like he, I I sent him a track from my record to put some saxophone on, and it's perfect. It's like my favorite thing <laughs> on the record, and yeah. he's playing some like. He's doing just some like airy, airy overtones shit, and then he plays some blues licks, and it's like yeah. this is perfect. Like, yeah. how did you? How did this even? Dude, and from a, from a saxophone player's perspective, I actually need to go buy his new record. I'm realizing now as we're talking, I haven't checked out his new record yet. Uh, it's good. Oh, I'm sure it is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's sort of related, to Devin, but not really. It's just another Montreal saxophonist. I really like Claire Devlin, her most recent album. Oh my god, she sounds good. The music is so good. Uh, I'll check this out. Yeah, yeah, Claire Claire Devlin's record. John Buck's playing drums on that. Um, yeah, it's her music. She's incredible. Like Claire, me and Dennis and Claire were in this kid band when I was like 14 and taking jazz piano lessons and there were too many good piano players that my teacher Eve had. So I had to play sax in this like youth band. I really wanted to play piano. Um, And Claire was also playing saxophone. And so was Chris Maskell just watching what they both have done. Uh, And man, Claire, like this record, she sounds so good on it. She was playing with like, I guess they call it the McClaudia quintet, that band which was Holland Beck's on Masters Ensemble that played the Claudia Quintet music. Yeah. Similar time period. I went to Montreal with Maddie Ertel and Max Donaldson. We rented a car to go hear Linda O do a masterclass the month before Ambrose was there. And Linda and Fabian did Fabian's Suite with Strings with Holland Beck playing drums and Sarah Rossi singing the vocal parts. Do you know Sarah Rossi? She's also incredible. Uh, I don't know her, but I, yeah. I know Oh, my her, God. Yeah. She's so good. It's all these people in Montreal. They're going for it. It's awesome. Uh, anyways, Claire Claire was playing in this Hollenbeck ensemble, and I just couldn't even believe how good she sounded sitting there. I like it was wild. Sweet. I am checking it out. I've got it sweet up yeah. on my band camp. Yeah, her um, record's great. Hey, are you composed? Are you, are you composing right now? Are you writing tunes? I've been want, wanting to ask other people that because I had all these grand plans to finish writing the last three, four tracks for my album, and I've been not doing that and playing the flute instead. Uh, I haven't been writing much at all. Yeah. Um, Feels like it I, would be a good time to, but I just can't seem... I need. I should. I just need to force myself to do it. I don't know. How are you feeling? It, it's really hard for me to write without 
um, like a time restraint. Like a deadline. If, yeah. 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 It's like if I don't have a couple, if I don't have a gig or two coming up that I can try some stuff out on doesn't really work like I've, I've got a bunch of stuff that i've written recently that's not that hasn't been played yet but uh it's hard for me to like work ahead i don't know I'm just spending most of my time practicing and working on this record i don't know i don't know what the it's probably something i should start soon though <laughs> Yeah, get a couple new things in for once we're once we're able to open back up again. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, think... Re- regardless of performance this summer, like the sessioning is going to be like I want to get back to playing a bunch of sessions, regardless yeah. of if we can perform or not. Like, I don't yeah. care if they're inside or outside. I just want to play. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That's got to. I mean, I told myself I was going to figure out a way to keep that, like, just some some semblance of that Friday session that we did a couple times. I really wanted to keep that going through this second shutdown, but it things kind of got out of control faster than I had imagined they would get out of control. So that's a bummer. Yeah. But I think that band also needs to play more. That was super fun. And Maddie talked about it. Maddie and I talked about it when she was on a couple weeks ago. How much oh, Maddie we like that the, band. Is, is that podcast out yet? Yeah. It's from oh. either two or three weeks ago. Cool. I will check out what Maddie has to say. Yeah, that was a good band. I actually did some recording. Uh, because remember we were talking at that Rex gig about how we should do that Rex quartet, but with Maddie. Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking like we got off the gig and Maddie was at the gig and I like it just I was like oh yeah wow why like yeah this that's a great idea like why didn't I think of that before we did the gig like um and then yesterday I was um. I was doing some recording actually with uh, Yunjin, uh, which was awesome. And she I was thinking so about, good. yeah, this was such, yeah, it was so good. It was really fun. Um, and I was thinking about that gig we did, and you telling me, oh yeah, we should do this again and have Maddie play trumpet. And I thought, yeah, that would be great. And then I we I was recording with uh, Yunjin, and I thought, fuck. I need like this needs to happen like that memory came back <laughs> um i uh i i had a i had such a blast on that gig that we did uh but also i th- and i didn't in i didn't totally notice this until i listened back to the recording but um i guess i couldn't really hear claire and i didn't notice it until I heard the recording because I was like playing some shit that like certain scenarios I was playing shit that had nothing to do with what she was playing. It's I thought I thought it was cool. It was like I wish we I had rehearsed. I wish we had had a rehearsal. Um, and it was also like the first time that iteration of people had played together. But I thought it was cool. Yeah, the Rex the. Yeah, I wish I could have heard Claire better too. And I wish we had had time to get her synthesizer set up. That would have been great. Yeah. Yeah, like, whatever. That, we, Zulu's stomp on that gig was really fun. That You took this bass solo at the end of that. That was really great. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty wanky, but it was fun. Oh, never, it was great. Like, I never play like that. So it's like, okay. Yeah, I, I, didn't can... th- I didn't think it was wanky at all. You have such like a deep, big, huge sound. Like, feels like every <sighs> time. When you play like that, it's like massive. I love it. Well, we should do it more. Yeah, yeah, totally. I would love to. Now, like, I was trying to. What I wanted to do, if we had had a proper rehearsal, was I wanted to do, like, 
more electronic stuff. And I was even thinking like, I should like, if we had had a proper time to do two, I, we really, what I wanted to do was have like an electronic quartet with electric mm. Claire on synthesizers and me on mostly soprano and some Ewe. Um, that was what I wanted to do. Um, well, we should which do why, it, yeah, which was why I was playing a bunch of soprano on that gig, which is funny because I don't, I haven't, I haven't had my soprano in like a month and a half. I lent it to somebody, um, and I don't miss it. <laughs> but now, see, yeah, that month where I had those gigs, I was playing a bunch of soprano, and it was great. And I don't. I don't know. Soprano is a weird one for me. Maybe you feel this way about electric, but I spent so much time when I was younger and in jazz school being like, Soprano will be my double. I will do this. I will figure out how to play this thing in tune. I really worked on it when I was a lot when I was younger. And then I finished school and I was like, oh, I'm in this funk band that's touring and I'm playing baritone and oh, I'm have doing all these other rock gigs. Uh, okay. Yeah. And like suddenly the soprano didn't get touched for like a year and a half, unless I had like the occasional McBride big band gig, at which point every single time I was like, Oh no, I got to get the soprano out. And it always came back pretty quickly, but doing all these other gigs playing tenor and baritone, uh, that are not really jazz gigs and it mm -hmm. just fell by the wayside. And now, you know, there's no, none of those gigs right now. And it's not like I'm sitting here being like, I'm going to create a smooth, like, I just don't feel drawn to be like, Oh, I want to play like a Gerald Albright vibe, uh, or a Grover Washington vibe over some track. Like I, I don't, I, that's not what I'm being drawn towards. Yeah. I'm being drawn the other way, but I'm also being drawn in the middle, which I think is where Marcus Strickland sits. And he plays some soprano and it sounds great. And yeah, it should come back. Do you feel yeah. that way with electric? Have you had periods of your life where you don't play a lot of electric? Um, yeah, most of my life I haven't played a lot of electric. And then it's just like one of those things that like I feel super self-conscious when I play it in public. Just because... It just, it just feels weird. Like, uh, even though I, even though I spend a lot of time playing it at home, there's that, like, there's that variable of you kind of don't get comfortable or good or whatever at an instrument until you're, you're actually doing it in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like one of those things that I wish I did more. Um, I played mostly upright all the way through school. And then when I finished school, I finished school and then that last year after school that I was in New York, I probably played mostly electric gigs. And then moved home. But uh, there was a period where I was playing a lot of it. Um, but I'm, I'm super into it. Like, it's... Uh, it's a whole different instrument. And like, I've always been into, since I was in high school, I was into pedals. So I've always had that like landscape of weird sounds. Um, and I've, and I have, uh, whatever the technical term is, I have like just naturally fast twitch muscles in my hands. So I'm able to play, um, content aside i can play pretty quickly <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah like I, I like i would love to play electric in a band that's a real it's a real thing because like electric i do you know michelle and Cello? yeah yeah she produced uh and played on most of strickland's first twilight band uh album huh. from 2016 she was like the producer and she plays on a few tracks she like co-wrote some of the music with marcus she's un. she's so good i was not familiar with her until i was on this been on this marcus strickland thing the last six months and i was watching the epk and 
It's Marcus, Michelle sitting down and talking. And yeah, she's just such a force of nature. It's called Twilight. Yeah, so there's two records he released. The most recent one is called People of the Sun. The other one's called Nihil Noville. I might, I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Like he, this was, this is more out of, it's sort of his take on Jay Dilla. It's more of a hip hoppy band. The bass player is named uh, Kenneth. It's either Kenneth Miles or Kyle Miles. Really great electric player. The drummer is usually Chris Dave's on some of it, I believe, on the first one, and then the second one with a but that has some live studio videos. Uh, Charles Haynes, this total badass, is playing drums, and it's so beautiful. Um, the way Marcus writes, I really want to get into beat making primarily because of this band. And Marcus wrote almost all the music through making beats for singers and people. Sweet. And it's really beautiful. Like, and uh, some of the live footage is great. Like there's live footage from like 2017 as well as like more. He released the last one in 20 late 2019. So like there was a few gigs before COVID. Um, yeah, Marcus is incredible. I don't know if you got to hear him play much in New York. Did you? Not much. He's so, oh, he's become one of my favorites. I've heard his brother play quite a bit. Okay. EJ, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That trio. There's some trio videos of with EJ and uh, Ben Williams that are great. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like like I'm uh, totally in debt to Michelle for every single sound that I make on the electric bass. And I feel like I'm never in situations where I can like actually utilize that sort of thing. So I don't know. Right. Long story short, I would love to play electric in a band. Hey, uh, what music are you listening to? Don't you? Yeah. I'm not listening to much. Um, I don't know. What are you, you? What are you listening to? I'm listening to. I didn't know Beethoven's like middle period that well. No, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I didn't know his piano music that well. I knew his like orchestral and his string music pretty well. I didn't know his piano music that well. So through reading this book, the last it's been a slow grind of me checking it out, but I've been checking it out. Uh, late Sonny Rollins, trying to really get. As well as the the new things Sonny released with Young Han Benink and Rude Jacobs. That oh man, it sounds great. Uh, there's this whole nice booklet that comes if you get the vinyl set. So I don't have a vinyl player, but I might get the vinyl set because I feel like I need it as a Sonny buff. So um, there's a new, so okay. Sorry, I gotta. I guess I'm just spit. I've been out to lunch. Sonny Rollins. There's a new Sunny album that he, that came out last September. Uh, it's only available on Bandcamp. It's a from 1967, his last tour before the second sabbatical, where he didn't really do much. He st- went to India and studied Eastern yoga uh, in the very late 60s. And it's his last one of his. I believe it's his last tour of Europe before that period. Um, the gigs were like a month after Train died, I believe. Don't quote me on that. And it was, he just got these young Dutch guys, one of whom is Han Benning, swinging his ass off and Rude Jacobs. And they're playing trio and they're, they're going for it. And it's a really cool period of Sonny Rollins. Yeah. Yeah. I got to check it out. Yeah. I'm, it's really I'm good. Such a huge Han Benning fan. Yeah. And this, this single, the single they released was Tune Up. And they play it so fast, and Han is just going. And then it gets to the drum solo, and it's pretty free. Like, it's the same year that Machine Gun was recorded, and here's Han. I believe yeah. Machine Gun was 1967 as well. I think Machine Gun was 68. Yeah, so it's like the same period, and here is Han swinging his ass off with Sonny Rollins, and he's like 22 yeah. on this. Also, we got to do the Machine Gun show again. We do need to do the machine gun show again. And this time, uh, yeah, I think I want four saxes. I don't think three was enough. I think I want four. But yeah, I think I think Colin on tenor and then Mark and Gennaro on drums. Like, 
which would be wild to have them both on drums, but I'm down for the chaos. <laughs> we got to do it. Yeah. Um, what else are you listening to? Sonny, uh, Beethoven, this, Marcus this, Strickland. This Strickland thing is big. Uh, I've been listening to... Oh, man, let's talk about the non-jazz I've been listening to. I already said Beethoven. Um, I've been listening to Grimes a little bit. Nice. It's wild. I f- feel like it's music for very, very late at night. Um, what else have I been listening to? I've been listening to... Um, my buddy Tristan Armstrong's old project and his new project. It's such a great guitar player and folk country singer songwriter and country's the wrong word. He'd be pissed if I said that. I think rock folk guitarist and singer. Um, Trevor Falls plays uh, drums on this first band. Stars Algonquin is the name of that record. It's like this indie Canadiana indie record from four years ago. And it's so beautiful. Tre- like, Trevor and Tristan have just been playing together for forever. They're both from Vancouver Island. And that band recently recorded some new songs of Tristan's like two weeks ago. I'm excited to hear that. And then Tristan also has this other different band that he writes for that released an EP like six months ago. That band's called the actual goners. I've been listening to Phil. Phil Albert used to play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So maybe still does. I, I believe he still does. Yeah. I've been checking out Tristan's music. I really like that stuff. Um, what else have I been looking at? I've been getting into, I just got into Greg Osby. Oh, whoa. There's two trio records. Okay. Off the hook. Nice. One is, uh, I think they're both bands that I don't really know, actually. Uh, but this Greg Osby record called Band in New York is really good. It sounds like someone recorded it. Someone bootlegged the show, and then eventually Blue Note put it out. Sick. Awesome. Yeah. I've never gotten into Osby. I've, I've never really gotten into him. Some pretty cool shit. It's like... Uh, They've got like a very strong, it's like a very aggro vibe. Like it, it, it sounds like, it sounds like battle jazz. What else? Dude, I've also been checking out, uh, this is like Mark Hundebat's one of his favorite records. He talks about this record all the time. Uh, I did a lot of sessioning and gigging with outdoor gigging with Mark, um, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, this it's the McCoy Tyner record Atlantis from the seventies. Uh, with Azar Lawrence and Junie Booth, and I think Alphonse Musons, that era of McCoy in the mid seventies. Uh, particularly this song "Love Samba," which is the last track on the record, and it has a very battle jazz feel. It's cool. I've never heard this record. It's real. It, I've never so even good. seen this record. I don't even Man, recognize it, it. Like this is one of. Mark's favorite record since he was a teenager and and Mark's got all these this knowledge of 70s jazz like you wouldn't believe um uh, like he just knows all these songs off these McCoy records and it's been playing them quietly for like 30 years um yeah so Hundabad showed me that and I've been checking out more of it to try to you know I've at this point developed a pretty close relationship playing with him a lot and both as a drummer and as a vibraphone player, I feel like a lot of what he's coming out of is this era of McCoy, as well as Cecil Taylor, you know, which who he got to hang with and play with. He sounded so good that night you guys played at the Rex. That was crazy. Yeah. And it's wild because he actually sounded, he even admitted like that gig, he had to get his drumming back together because on these gigs on the street uh, that we were doing, he was all playing vibes up until that point and then it was getting cold and the old drummer sylvester gaucher who's great who i didn't know about do you know about this guy who lives in toronto sylvester gaucher who played with lonnie smith in the 70s nope this this dude is 74 years old he is such a killing swing drummer 
and I had never heard of him. And I did this weekly Friday gig outside Lavaz restaurant all of August and September with him. Uh, and then Mark started going between drums and vibes. But that gig at the Rex, like Mark had to get his drumming together for that. Like he'd been mostly playing vibes. And then I played with him a bunch after that. And he, he said, I think he said something of along the lines of, yeah, man, that was good because then I got my drumming together and now I'm just shedding drums all the time. Uh, and yeah, he sounded so good with Leighton too. Like that was a crazy, that was a crazy trio set. Barden Beard Oil, B-A-A-R-D-E-N, handmade in Toronto, and I'm a big fan. I use the beard wash and the oil, and it keeps everything nice. And you can use code KNOCKOUT when you check out for 20% off your order. I should get something. I have a beard now. You should. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any other pressing thoughts for my idiot listeners? <laughs> um, pressing thoughts. <laughs> 